Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, FF Dynasty 260 proudly brings to you its flagship Dynasty podcast. Fuck it. We did it live. I'm your host, Jared Forrest. You can find me on the Twitter machine at that guy from Jers. Jers with a Z. Got no quirky remark for that this week. I'm joined by my co-host, Mark Leopold. You can find him on Twitter, at Leopold NFL. Mark, how was your 4th of July? It was pretty good, man. I mean, I just moved, and like our fantasy teams, the listeners probably don't care that much about our lives. So just spent <laughs> a lot of time unpacking, but did make some time to go grill some burgers and dogs. So it was all good. How about yours? Uh, not too bad. went over to my parents' house and grilled for them and uh, – just spend some time. Watch instead of going out to fireworks. I just watched the Macy's Day fireworks uh, on my living room couch with my girl. So that was good enough for me. I didn't watch any fireworks whatsoever. No, uh, see, I, I don't like fireworks, but she likes them. So gotta gotta make that sacrifice at least once a year. Yeah, I don't dislike them. Just kind of unpacking and making the new place somewhat functional seemed like more of a priority. But. No, absolutely. I know the feeling. I just moved into this place just a couple of months ago and. One of the reasons why we didn't get the podcast up sooner is because of that. So, yep. I apologize. Uh, it's all right, though. We're back. And actually, I have two things that oh, I wanted to, to kick off here with. So oh, number, let's do it. Number one, did we ever decide if children listen to this podcast? Because that's still in the intro. And, you know, I know we discussed that briefly. I actually contacted some younger, <clears throat> excuse me, some younger cousins of mine. I'm going to convince them to listen to the podcast just for the sure fact that I could use that intro some more. All right. So we'll have at least one? What, at least at least one child of all ages. All right, so we need to get a second one. Otherwise, oh, yeah. children's not applicable. Yeah, definitely right. need another cousin to jump in. But uh, I'm still not changing the intro. So anybody who has children that want to listen to me and Mark curse constantly, please, by all means, I want to keep this intro the way it is. Now that's good parenting right there. I try. That's why I don't have kids yet. And number two... I don't know if we ever really explained why we call it Fuck It, We Did It Live. So maybe it would be good just to take 30 seconds here to explain our philosophy. Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, we're doing it live. There is zero editing except for, what, maybe five to ten seconds in the front and back end? Yeah, we cut out the first five seconds or so just so that we know when it's going to start recording because some, we use Google Hangouts and sometimes it, there's a little blip at the beginning. And then we cut out anything at the end if it doesn't stop recording right on the point we want it to. But any time between when Jared starts talking and when we stop and sign off at the very end, there's no editing involved. Yeah, no editing. Uh, you might have heard that in episode two, I believe. We had some technical difficulties and we left everything in. So all we're going off of is our, we do have a show sheet, which is very generic. And uh, the rest is, you know, off the dome and uh, looking up stuff at during the show. So we uh, maybe some people will criticize that because it's not that smooth. But I personally think we're doing a fucking good job. So I actually have in my new place. I just bought a new external monitor. But before I was working off one screen. So now I can look up some stuff, too, instead of making you do it all. So that'll be good. <laughs> See, I have the external monitor, but I generally just don't use it. I don't know. I, I guess I should utilize that. It's probably, probably the way enough. to go. But. Fair enough. All right. Maybe we should talk some football. Yeah, uh, probably. Uh, three segments, as usual. Start with some news and notes. Plays through that. Then uh, the main section, the main segment that we're going to have today is what we're going to look for in training camp. 
generally, we're going to try and take this from a dynasty perspective. However, some of the news that you get out of training camp may be more redrafty. We'll try and put a dynasty spin on it. And then we're going to end the show with a little Scott Fishbowl 8 preview. And we made that the final segment simply because Mark and I know what it's like to not be in the SFB. Uh, Mark, I believe this is your first year, correct? Yes, sir. Looking yeah. forward to it. This is your first year. This is my second year. But I definitely remember the feeling of searching through podcasts and just skipping through anything that was Scott Fishbowl out of sheer aggravation that I wasn't invited uh, two years ago. So that's going to be our third segment. And honestly, if you don't want to listen to it, if you're not in the Scott Fishbowl, you can cut us out. I won't be butthurt. Uh, if you want to listen to it, find out what the Scott Fishbowl is all about and some of our strategy going into it, by all means, stick around. And uh, hopefully, you know, we'll answer some questions and we'll get you guys interested in it so you could apply next year for SFB 9. Yeah, and we, we certainly won't be upset if anybody's not interested because they're not participating. But I think everybody should really know that Scott Fish does an amazing job with that. And uh, this year's contributions to the league, there's an you know, quote entry fee, but it's really a donation to fantasycares.net and all that money goes towards buying toys for children for Christmas. So it's, it's a very good cause. And I think this year's contributions have raised like $25,000 last time I heard. Uh, let's say I actually have the number right here. Right now it is up to, I did have the number. It's up to 22,000. Oh, 22. But Sorry. that's already up from 15,000 from last year. And that's even before the thing starts and there's already a ton of donations going out. There's a bunch of satellites for SFB nine in which donations go to fantasy care. So uh, I think it'll, I think it'll come really, really close to 30 grand, which is just unbelievable on, on Scott's part, how, how big this is getting in. Yeah. You know, so looking at it from a fantasy player's perspective, it's just going to get bigger. Yeah. It's really amazing what the community does. So for those not in it, I mean, we get it. We wanted to be in it in years prior, but reaching out to Scott on Twitter and asking him why you're not in it or trying to, you know, criticize the number of participants is it's not productive because it's really a great thing that he's putting on and it's really all for fun for us in the end and it's really all for the charity above all. So um, certainly I don't think a place to criticize Scott, but as long as the listeners are aware of that, and I, I don't think anybody will do that, but I saw him put out a tweet today that he's gotten a couple of those, so hopefully it's none of the listeners to this show. Yeah, I saw that tweet too, and I couldn't believe it, that someone's bitching about either not getting in or how it's taken over Twitter. You know, But if you, I guarantee if that same person was part of it, they would be participating in the Twitter takeover just as much as anybody else because it's something that, you know, if you're part of the fantasy community, you really can't escape, and you just got to embrace it. Uh but they'll see come Monday how it, it SFB hashtag SFB eight will be trending on Twitter, and uh, it's going to be pretty amazing. So I mean, we said we were going to get into that later, which we will, I guess. But uh, I guess we'll start with some news and notes. We'll blaze through some IDP news real quick. Cam Chancellor not cleared to play, kind of retired. Didn't really announce it yet, but he put out this cryptic tweet or Instagram post saying that. He may be done. I don't know. As far as IDP goes, he was middle of the tier defensive back, had decent safeties, uh, de decent tackles. And then Ruben Foster is suspended two games, and that's good for owners because as a Ruben Foster owner, I definitely expected him to be suspended uh, a lot more than two games. 
on to yeah. go ahead. Do you have anything to add with those two? Oh, just he's a very high upside player, and so it might create a buying window, but I'm not really an IDP guy, so I won't weigh in too much. But anytime a player gets suspended, it, it's usually a good window to try to buy. No, yeah. I mean, if I don't know how a lot of people's IDP leagues go, but mine are generally balanced scoring. So if you could get Ruben Foster for a second, I would do it because I think he has top five linebacker appeal, um, especially if you have an aging linebacker like a Luke Keekley. Who can liter- who could have a concussion and have his career done at any second now? Ruben Foster is the perfect replacement. Uh, onto the offensive side of the ball, Julian Edelman lost his appeal, which I thought was very surprising. But the NFL does hate the Patriots, so I guess it's not that shocking. So he will be suspended for the first four games of the year. We touched on this in a few earlier episodes. If you want to go out there and get Jordan Matthews or Chris Hogan, anybody that might you know replace him for the first four games. Yeah, Chris, Chris Hogan's the real value there. Um, and we'll see who else emerges, but we've talked about that before. Yeah, any pass catcher on that offense is someone that you want to want to take a stab at. Uh, Robert Turbin, suspended four games for the Colts. Not, not that big of a deal. No one was mm-hmm. really talking about him as a viable option on that offense in the Marlon Mack show. And yeah, then- he was potentially the goal line back. They used him there last year at times, but... It's probably going to be Marlon Mack or Jordan Wilkins. So I, I think it just helps whoever you already liked in the Colts' backfield. So I don't think it changes too much. Yeah, no one was being a truther for Robert Urban. And then I guess the biggest news, you know what I didn't put on the show sheet, which I don't think we touched on last week. Did we touch on Winston? Jameis? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> Our last show ended up being like two or three weeks uh, yeah, ago. So I was moving. We'll go ahead and touch on that real quick because we're doing it live. Uh, Jameis Winston suspended for three games. Um, yep. Due to the whole incident with like the um, groping an Uber driver, yeah, Uber and not, driver, not disclosing it or something, and then I think NFL even put out a statement, more or less saying like he's got to really clean up his act, or he's going to get sort of the Josh Gordon treatment where he could get a uh, not a banishment, but a, a much harsher penalty. So I could see him getting bodyguards and kind of getting some sort of life coach or something to get his life together. He's a good player, ton of upside, a great offense around him. But with this shit, it's just, it's tough to buy in. Uh, so if you, uh, if you're not a Winston owner, are you, are you buying low? I guess he would be right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so he'll be back really nothing dynasty wise. He's still going to be a, a, a high end, Dynasty quarterback that you want to touch on. He's still in his early 20s. And then recent news, Aaron Jones suspended two games, not for PED use. So I don't know why people think that just because a Roto World article came out saying that he bulked up. This is a suspension for a marijuana charge stemming from last year. So not PEDs. Stop thinking that. With that being said, uh, I know the Packers don't really fuck around. If you're a Tymont truther, Jamal Williams truther, you know you're you're feeling good right now. If you're uh, if you're an Aaron Jones truther, you go out and try and buy low. Uh, yeah, I mean I'm always trying to buy Aaron Jones because he's a guy that we really like. But this is probably one of the cases where it's the worst for a suspension relative to some like Mark Ingram suspension is not that bad, just because Green Bay's backfield is such a kind of uncertain committee at this point, and really anyone can emerge, whether it's Ty Montgomery or Jamal Williams or Aaron Jones. So just to not have those first two games of the season, 
that really gives an opportunity for Jamal Williams or Ty Montgomery to really take the reins and run away with the lead back duties. So in this case, it's so much worse than even Mark Ingram's four game suspension in my mind, but I'm still trying to buy because I believe in the talent. I believe if he has the opportunity, he'll win the job and it's such a valuable job. Yeah. uh, How about this for a segue? Since our first uh, segment is talking about things to watch in training camp, my very first thing is the Green Bay offense. So we could just go ahead and keep talking about it. I think the dynasty community as a whole was higher on Aaron Jones uh, than the other two, especially with, I I still think that they're going to use Tymont, if not just as the pass catching back there, they may even put him, try and put him back as wide receiver only because you put uh, Devontae Adams as the X. I, I think Randall Cobb is a slot receiver, definitely. Uh, so I'm curious to see who's opposite Devontae Adams when Ty Mott can kind of play that role. You got Geronimo Allison there. Obviously, you have Equinemius St. Brown, who I don't think is going to be starting day one. No. Um, so it, I'm curious to see how many times that Ty Mott is on the field at the same time as someone like a Jamal Williams or an Aaron Jones. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I mean, I think Ty Montgomery just need like I think last year was just him feeling out the running back position, and obviously we saw him get injured as a result. Um, but I think that's largely due to just not having the body type of a running back and not being able to take the pounding that running backs do. So given that year and now that he's going into a second year at the position, I think he can handle it. So I think we'll still see him used primarily out of the backfield. Uh, but obviously he's an excellent receiver, so they can move him around. Uh, but what I'm really looking for as far as training camp goes is at this point, how much do they use Aaron Jones at all? You know, do they just relegate him and say, we're going to roll with Jamal Williams and Ty Montgomery because Jones won't even be available the first two weeks. Um, or do they keep him mixed in? And if they keep him mixed in, I think that's a really good sign that they plan on using him. And the other thing I'm looking for, um, not related to the backfield, but you did mention Geronimo Allison, Randall Cobb, especially with these rookie receivers is, you know, who's getting reps with the first team, and who's getting the most cracks at it specifically because they drafted Jamon Moore in the fourth round and uh, Marcus Valdez-Scantling in the fifth round and St. Brown in the sixth. So we know how they feel about each of those players based on where they were drafted. Uh, They were highest on Jamon Moore, obviously. So we'll see if he gets the first crack or the dynasty community obviously loves St. Brown. So we'll see if he gets any reps, Uh, but Special teams, I think, is going to go a long way to who actually gets on the field. So I'm thinking it's going to be Jamon Moore, um, but that's something I'll be watching for. Yeah, according to the depth chart, Jamon Moore is ahead of the other two rookies, but D'Angelo Yancey is ahead of Jamon Moore. So I don't put that much stock in those. No, and they also have Randall Cobb as the other outside receiver, which I don't see at all. He's a slot guy. Uh there's going to be a lot of four wide receiver sets there with Jimmy Graham lined up as a other slot receiver, which I'm very excited about. So regardless of his age, I think with the lack of real depth at tight end, especially with the injury to Hunter Henry, if you're, if you're a Hunter Henry owner, go and try and make a, uh, a cheap effort for a cheap um, trade bait for Jimmy Graham. See what you could get for him. Uh, he might come cheap and someone trying to rebuild. And then the only other thing with the Packers is, uh, I mean, it's not a big deal. I guess it's far, not far. Wow. Throwback. Uh, A-Rod coming back from his injury. Last time he got hurt, he came back. He was the league MVP. He'll be fine. Yes. He's still the quarterback one. He's the quarterback one in my Scott Fish mocks. Yeah. I'm not too worried about it. 
You're it's broken bone. Yeah, you're looking at 4,000 yards. He's going to eat up defenses. Right. Oh. He's he's quarterback one for me this year, and it's not even close. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's really not. He could he could go for 5,000 yards. You're looking at MVP caliber numbers again. Yeah. And with that, it's just a, a game changer because there's no one near him. Yeah, for me, he's pretty much the only one that doesn't come with any uncertainty other than, like, the freak accident of getting injured. You know, Watson has the uncertainty of his sample size and how can he sustain that touchdown rate. Carson Wentz has a lot of uncertainty with his injury because it's it's one of those more significant injuries. Like, a broken bone just heals. I'm not worried yeah. about that one bit. Um, and then also, he was pretty efficient. You know, can he sustain that, especially in terms of rushing? Tom Brady has, you know, how well will he hold up with his age? How does the offense look around him in terms of the weapons they have? So there's pretty much question marks about everyone. And then Cam, obviously, uh, he finishes up there with his rushing ability. Uh, it's, you know, how are the weapons around him? Will he be able to rush as much as he wants to? Or will the coaching staff be conservative? And then for Russell Wilson, for me, it's the offensive line. How well will they be able to protect? Will they start running the ball more and taking it out of his hands? So there's kind of question marks for me about everybody else that's up in that tier, arguably. So for me, Rodgers is in his own tier this year. Yeah, it's kind of crazy when you put it that way, how everybody else does have question marks. And the next QB that I could think of off the top of my head that really – doesn't have those question marks, isn't even in that tier. And that's Stafford. He's con- consistently you know, up there in the top 10. He's going to throw for 4,000 yards, but he's always in that next tier. So if you're in a 2QB league and you could do something like an A-Rod and Stafford stack, I think uh, that's that's something you want to try to look into. But you want to take us to uh, something else to look for in, uh, in OTAs or training camp? Yeah, so one thing that we're both watching here, I think, is the Jets running back situation. Uh, I think the biggest question for me is Bilal Powell and how they'll use him or will they even use him. Uh, I think he's potentially a cut candidate, and I've seen that floated around a little bit. But at the same time, even if he's not, I just don't think he's a better version of Elijah McGuire at this point. I think McGuire is probably the one that's more likely to win the job. and he was a phenomenal receiving back in college. He had almost a 15% target share, which is amazing. Uh, so I kind of expect to see Crowell on early downs and McGuire on third downs and passing situations, two-minute drill, hurry up, that kind of thing. Uh, so for me, it'll be interesting to see really like how many reps do they give McGuire with the first team and how are they using Powell? Uh, so kind of how does it look like that depth chart will shake out? Because for me, I think McGuire is a screaming value right now, and I'm scooping him up at the end of pretty much every draft. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, You look at Powell's salary and his contract status, and he's an unrestricted free agent next year, and this year he's a $5 million cap hit. Now, granted, the Jets have a ton of cap room, but with the NFL, they don't trade at all, nearly not as much as baseball. So you, I can't expect him to be traded. However, I do think he would be a welcome addition to a team that could use a pass catching back. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him cut just because Elijah McGuire is a younger version of Powell. It, it, when Powell, you know, you look at him three years ago when he was paired up with Matt Forte and he was great. He, he was really, really good. And I think Elijah McGuire can do that. And I agree. I think Crowell is going to be your early down work guy. I think Thomas Rawls will never see the field. I think uh, that I don't, I honestly can't answer why they signed him. It was a one year, a veteran minimum deal. He's going to be gone next year. Crowell, they invested some money into three years, 12 million. But with a team like the Jets, who pains me to say is going to be losing 
a lot. We always want to aim for those third down backs on those losing teams. Duke Johnson has notoriously been that guy. Um, Danny Woodhead for a while was that guy. Elijah McGuire is going to be that guy. I think Elijah McGuire, if he takes Powell's spot, you're looking at a ton of catches, PPR leagues. He could be a top 20 back. And with that, if he's your running back three, that's money. That's wonderful to have. <laughs> he's going to be way lower than that. I mean, you can scoop him up way past the double-digit rounds. Like, I think 15th, 16th round. Let me pull up the ADP. But he's going really late. I can't even imagine what his ADP is. It's 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 well below players. It's probably well below Crowell. And I, I at this point, I think I take McGuire ahead of Crowell as long as you're not in a league that's point per carry or anything like that. Because the Jets' offensive line is not awesome. I definitely wouldn't take him over Crowell because we know Crowell is going to get a ton of touches. And so I'm I'm taking the guaranteed volume, but I'm definitely, I'd say, lower on Crowell than people that think he's a workhorse and higher on McGuire than pretty much anybody. If if Darnold gets reps uh, this year, you know he's always going to be doing the thing that rookie QBs always do, and that's checking down. And the Jets don't have a viable tight end, just ones that get DUIs. And then uh, that's that's really I th- oh they got Clive Walford I think now, but um, they're going he's going to be checking down to McGuire the screen passes the little dunks over the middle he's going to be that safety blanket he, he's definitely a screaming value go out make some offers for him you know start low and, and negotiate with with the owner and I, I really really think uh, you may be able to squeeze him out for a third I wouldn't I would I would. I don't know if I'd even sell him for a late second. It would probably take at least an early second for me, probably a late first. Um, the only thing that scares me is that with the the running backs coming out next year and the year after, uh, the Jets definitely need somebody, and them drafting a, a three-down back could definitely knock McGuire uh, back a little bit. But I guess that's something you're scared about with every team. Yeah, I mean, I don't expect him to ever be a three-down workhorse, but no, I just, just looked, he's going outside the top 60 in both redraft oh. and dynasty, so definitely oh. a guy I'm trying to buy at that price. Do you still have it up? No, I closed uh, it, but I, nah. I can pull it back up. I'm just curious of what running backs are going near him. Uh, well, we only go up to 60 here, so he's going after Matt Breida, Kenneth Dixon, Giovanni Bernard, Spencer Ware, Doug Martin, and dynasty. He's going after uh, Doug Martin. Yep. That's it. That's in dynasty startups and it, it doesn't go past 60. So I don't know how close that even is. Like he could be way past them and redraft. He's going behind the likes of James White, Kalen Balazs, Bilal Powell of all people, <laughs> Spencer Ware and Peyton Barber. How, why is he going behind Spencer Ware? He's going behind Peyton. Chris Carson. Why? Why? Chris Carson has zero fantasy redraft or dynasty. He has zero fantasy upside. Uh, fucking well, Spencer Ware, I think, I, you know, he's not going to have much. But that, that's insane. Buy low, everybody. Please go out there and buy low. You'll thank us later. Please go. Maybe. Yeah. Um, as far as the Jets go, that's really it. They're not going to have much else on offense, I don't think. All right. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to talk about the Jets anymore. Yeah, of course not. Uh, me neither, and I'm a fan. Um, one of the other things that I really want to look at 
uh, is something that I've mentioned before. And that's the Falcons offense. And this is multifaceted from coaching to wide receivers to running backs. Everybody knows my love for Ito Smith. And Tevin Coleman is a free agent after this year. I don't think they'll phase Tevin out at all to try and get Ito work because it's clear that Tevin knows the system and, and they're going to want to win. They have the, they have a team to win now, but I'm very curious to see how much work Ito gets uh, in OTAs and in the off in the preseason. Yeah. I'm not expecting all that much because I, I think they're going to run Tevin Coleman into the ground, knowing that they're going to keep him this year and let him go next year, especially with how they paid Freeman. I think there's, essentially a 0% chance they keep Coleman next year because he'll demand money. Um, and he'll certainly get that on the free agent market. So I think next year you're looking at Freeman and Smith, but this year I just don't really see it given that they know they're going to have Smith next year. So, you know, why, why waste those touches, keep it fresh while you've got Coleman only for one year. Uh, so for me, I'm definitely much more interested in the wide receivers and seeing where they line up Calvin Ridley and Muhammad Sanu. Um, my thinking is Calvin Ridley will be on the outside. Mohamed Sanu will be in the slot. That seems to be the prevailing opinion, but I have seen some people say they'd like to see Ridley in the slot. So I'll be interested to see how that shakes out. And I don't necessarily have a take yet on what I'd rather see because I don't really like Calvin Ridley, so I'm not necessarily rooting for him to succeed. Uh, I do like Mohamed Sanu, though, so I'd like to see him in the slot. As far as Ridley goes, I'm not really sure which one's better for him. Probably the outside, but I'll just be interested to see how that shakes out. Yeah, I think NFL purposes, I think Sanu on the outside and Ridley in the slot would be better for the Falcons. Um, and I, I mentioned it before just because I can't imagine nickel corners or nickel backs, safeties or linebackers covering Ridley from the slot. From a fantasy perspective, I agree with you where I'd rather see Ridley outside and Sanu in the slot. Um, I think that their Austin Hooper is not a viable fantasy option. So whoever's lining up in the slot is going to get a ton of targets. I think they're going to be peppered, especially with probably double coverage on Julio. He's turning 30 soon, but the safety is still going to shade over to his side. So I would expect if Julio's on one side, you put Sanu and Ridley on the other, and that's just going to tear defenses up. But I definitely want to see where they start lining people up. I want to see if they have Freeman and Coleman on the offense at the same time. I know they very rarely did that last year. And then people got to remember that this is just the second year under Steve Sarkeesian. And last year was a disaster. Uh, they barely, you know, they obviously did not click from the Super Bowl appearance the year before. So another year under that, hopefully Matt Ryan got uh, his feet wet with a new playbook and, we could kind of adapt to that and see uh, see some improvements on that side of the ball. Yeah, certainly could be a high-powered offense this year, but you know, it kind of depends on how things work out with some of the new weapons they've got. We'll see how Matt Ryan turns out because he was obviously amazing in 2016, and then not only did he regress in 2017, but he over-regressed, so now he's actually due for positive regression. Uh, so I think we should see Matt Ryan fall somewhere in between 16 and 17, uh, so I think this should be maybe a top 10 offense, but not a top five offense. That's probably where I would expect them to fall. Yeah, um, I I absolutely agree that top 10. And uh, with, as far as Matt Ryan's regression goes, his ADP has absolutely plummeted. Oh, he's so free. Yeah, exactly. And he's another one where uh, go out, 
find somebody who owns Elijah McGuire and Matt Ryan and make a trade <laughs> for both of them because he's he's another one that is just especially in in one QB leagues he's a viable option to start uh, super flex if you could get him as your QB two that's insane um, he's gonna have uh, he he's gonna do do much much better than last year uh, I don't think he's he's a product of the Shanahan offense I think he's gonna rebound very nicely it, he. It's it's too big to fail there. The weapons are there. There's no way that he's not going to produce with all of them. Uh, and then the final thing that I really have, unless you want to add more, is what we're always looking for in OTAs and preseason and what always affects all dynasty players every year are key injuries. Um, we already got hit with one this year with Hunter Henry. Last year, we saw a bunch. Uh, Tannehill. Edelman, uh, Quincy Anunwa had the neck injury. Cam Meredith was out for the year. Spencer Ware was out for the year, which absolutely vaulted Kareem Hunt, which now basically demolished Spencer Ware's value. Uh, so you always want to look for injuries. Uh, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. You want to build depth on your rosters. Uh, you have anything to add to that? Uh, not much, only that. You know, we'll keep everyone posted, obviously, and track anything as it happens. But the only thing I think you can really do to prepare for it is if you're trying to get kind of a high upside handcuff running back, you want to make sure somebody that's going to step into a full-time role if the starter goes down. So last year's example, obviously, Spencer Ware and Kareem Hunt, they're pretty much a one-for-one replacement. And so we've already seen Chase Edmonds being talked up as a one-for-one replacement for David Johnson if Johnson goes down. And – so a couple of other rookies, like you talk about John Kelly versus Justin Jackson. If Ty Gurley goes down, John Kelly is very likely to have a significant workload for the Rams. But in the other LA team, the Chargers, if Melvin Gordon goes down, Justin Jackson is absolutely not big enough to run between the tackles for 20 touches a game. So he's definitely not going to fill Gordon's role one for one if Gordon goes down. So if you're looking at guys on the waiver wire, just kind of have that thought process of how many touches are they really going to get if the starter goes down. Yeah, that's a good point. You got another scenario would be like Mark Walton to Joe Mixon or Gio yeah. Bernard is still there, Bo Scarborough to Zeke. You can't expect these guys to handle the workload that these three down backs are getting. Uh, I personally never really liked the handcuff. I don't like predicting injuries, but if that's what you want to do, then go for it. One handcuff that I do like, and again, I don't want to predict injuries, but if you could handcuff Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis and God forbid one of them goes down, you're looking at probably three down work for the other one. Uh, I think Derrick Henry, while he's not a great option as a pest catching back and a third down uh, kind of receiving back, he could, he could produce. We saw him catch a few balls last year in the second half of the season when DeMarco Murray was banged up. And then he's not, he's not incompetent. No, but no, he's not Bo Scarborough. Um, and then, obviously, the, the flip side, we've seen Deion Lewis uh, be able to, to carry um, a decent workload. Plus, you have the rushing ability of Marcus Mariota. So you're not going to expect Deion Lewis to have to carry the ball you know, 22 to 25 times if Derrick Henry does go down. So those are the handcuffs that I would be looking at. Yeah, and I can't move on without actually mentioning Jalen Samuels because it depends on what website you play on, but Jalen Samuels out of NC State is eligible at tight end on some sites, uh, and yes, he's really a running back. So 
if Le'Veon Bell goes down, it's not going to be James Conner in my mind. Jalen Samuels is a much more kind of pure, true running back. And so he could actually see very high volume if Bell goes down. And Connor could still be a complimentary back at that point. So I'm viewing Jalen Samuels as a really high upside handcuff running back at this point. But if you can put him in your tight end spot, he's an extremely high upside tight end. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, I actually don't have any shares for Jalen Samuels. I'm on the James Connor uh, train with that. And I think everybody kind of wants a share of that backup role in Pittsburgh just because people don't think that Le'Veon's going to resign um, or he'll get hurt again, which I'm not going to say he's injury prone by any means, but he does have a history of knee injuries Uh, or suspended. suspended. So that's, that's definitely a uh, interesting backfield to look at. I think another one, which just came to mind, you mentioned a tight end going to running back, maybe Carolina where Curtis Samuel does have a history of playing running back. And if uh, someone like Christian McCaffrey were to go down, you know, people comped those two coming into the draft process, you know, very similar. And with the, with the wide receiving core kind of, you know, manufacturing around itself there in Carolina with Devin Funches, now DJ Moore um, and still Greg Olson, I could definitely see them trying to uh, put Curtis Samuel in there with CJ Anderson. If, if uh, God forbid Christian McCaffrey were to ever go down. So, Again, uh, a virtually not. I would say he's definitely not free, but he's discounted coming off of ligament damage in his ankle. Someone that, if you're a McCaffrey owner, you may want to uh, just dip your toe in the water and see what the Curtis Samuel owner wants. Yeah, uh, you have anything to add as far as what to watch in OTAs? I think if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably following, you know, Roto World and all the blurbs, and you probably know what to watch for in OTAs anyway, but. Hopefully we were able to fill you in on some of our little secrets. Yeah, and I'll just get everyone out of here on this. Everybody looks good in gym shorts and God, yes. t-shirts. So like the positive pieces don't really mean anything. But if a coach comes out and says something negative about a guy, like, oh, he's you know, he's not in, in shape yet, or he didn't work hard in the offseason, or it's taking him too long to pick up the offense, Baker Mayfield, you know, that that's yeah. not a good sign. So those are the ones that carry more weight for me. Yes, please, please, please do not put any stock into the good news. We see it every year with the Dolphins. Devontae uh, Parker. Devontae Parker took the next step. He's doing this. He's doing it's that. Locked in. Stop it. Stop it. Granted, I am definitely a Devontae Parker truther, and I continue to hold him. But I do not put any stock into anything Adam Gay says. This right. the coach news and, and the talk. Elijah McGuire, yeah, we just hyped him up a little bit. The running backs coach came out and said he's the next Ladanian Tomlinson. He's not. Oh, Nobody's the next Ladanian Tomlinson. The, some of these blurbs are fucking ridiculous. So do not put anything into the good news, but please, please, please pay close attention to the bad blurbs that come out. Coaches don't want to come out here and say bad things about their players before they put on pads. So when they do, it absolutely means something. Uh, all right, so let's go ahead, and if you don't want to hear anything about the Scott Fishbowl, I'm giving you a chance to duck out now. If you want to stick around, we're going to spend, I don't know, 10 minutes or so talking about it, uh, what we're looking forward to, maybe some of our plan going into the draft on Monday, uh, and some of the players that we're targeting. So we kind of went over the details of the Scott Fishbowl or some people you'll see the hashtag SFB eight 
This is the eighth year for it. Obviously founded and ran by Scott Fish. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at, I think it's Scott Fish 24. Um, he's also the founder of, as Mark mentioned before, Fantasy Cares, which is a organization in which the proceeds of the Scott Fish Bowl, among other leagues, including satellites, go to Toys for Tots. You could go to uh, fantasycares.net. You could see he was featured on uh, Fox 9 uh, in Minnesota, where Scott is from. And then he's been doing the Fantasy Care since 2015, and he's been raising thousands of dollars since. And the exact number, I have it up right here, that he has raised so far in 2018 is $22,101.15. So that is just unreal um, for Toys for Tots. Last year was 7,000. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Last year was uh, 15,000 for charity. So just unbelievable how much uh, money he's raising for Toys for Tots. And as I mentioned, SFB9 satellites are going on. Where again, 100% goes to charity. Uh, did you get your shirt? You got an SAP shirt? I didn't. I don't know if I got that memo. Oh, okay. So you got to go to, uh, was it Rotoware? They're selling shirts and they actually just released four new colors. Oh, heck yeah. So I got mine the other day. I got the maroon. I will be sporting it Monday at work as I draft from my phone. Hopefully I could repeat as uh, the lowest time drafter like I did last year when I had less than a minute per pick. So I'm very proud of that considering I was not very successful in that actual season. Uh, so SFB is unique. It is a redraft league. Obviously you can't do something like this uh, dynasty wise, but it's 900 teams this year up from 720 last year. Uh, it's separated into conferences and then separated even farther into divisions so, Mark, what conference and what division are you in? So, I'm in the 2000s, number two okay. conference. And my division is Jess Day, one of the uh, yes. leading characters on New Girl, for anyone who's not familiar. We did talk about that. And a fantastic show. Yeah. So, I'm looking forward to that. I, I like the division. I like how it stacks up. How about you? Where'd you end up? I am in the Always Sunny uh, conference with the Charlie Kelly division he was the only person i wanted from that conference so i'm glad i got him and uh my division's actually it's pretty cool i like who i'm with uh i'm with lewis glover who i'm actually in another league with sponsored by ffd 260 the catch 22 league so that was actually pretty unique that i share a league with him but i'm most excited i'm looking at my division now and i'm going against pat Corrine of Rotoviz, which is exciting. And then nice. Ian Kenyon of the NFL and police report. Uh, so they're in my immediate division. And then if you expand that even farther to, to the conferences, there are some big names here, like Jeff Ratliff uh, from pro football focus, Curtis Patrick from pro football focus, John Paul Hurley from dynasty trade calculator. So there are definitely some ringers in here. Uh, Adam Levitan shit is in the uh, Mac division. So oh. there's, there's definitely some people in this in this conference that uh, I hope to have to play in the playoffs. Do you have uh, any names that stick out in your division? Yeah, yours sounds pretty loaded. So in my specific division, in the Just Day division, uh, I think the biggest name of note here for me is John Proctor, Twitter's okay. favorite daily fantasy sports follow. Uh, 
you know, it's excellent work for DFS. And so it'll be interesting to see how that translates into season long league, obviously slightly different, but a lot of the same strategies will apply. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Uh, he's a pretty big name. And in the conference in some of the other divisions, uh, we have Liz Loza of Yahoo Sports. Uh, she's excellent, obviously. Marcus Mosier, uh, oh, who's okay. been around several podcasts that I listen to. He came on the other one that I do, Fantasy Football 24-7. Uh, Cowboys Insider, and just an excellent guy. Works with Bleacher Report as well. Uh, let's see who else we got here. Adam Rank, uh, NFL. All so right. That, yeah, pretty big name. A, big a lot name. of people have <laughs> mixed feelings about him. Let's just <laughs> say that. Uh, but that'll be fun to have him as well. And the last one here. Oh, Graham Barfield. Yeah, he's in oh, that's uh, a good one too. Perry Cox. Uh, so he's a big name. And Elliot Christ is in that one as well. Uh, they're so in the same division. Big names. Yep. And they're cool. actually with uh, Ryan Searfoss of Fantasy Football 24-7. He's one of the co-hosts on the Dynasty show for that site uh, that I do as well. So he's in a pretty stacked division there. Yeah, that division uh, got loaded. Yeah, a couple big names here in the conference, but I'm glad I'm not in his division. Yeah, that's rough. Uh, so I guess, you know, before we go into some of the strategy, the scoring for SFB is kind of unique. Uh, passing touchdowns, rather than the normal four points, they're six points. However, interceptions are negative four. So there's definitely a big penalty for inaccurate QBs. It's also an additional negative two points if the interception is returned for a touchdown. So... I mean, not something that's really in control of uh, the quarterback, but something you want to keep in mind. Passing yards, you get 0.4 each. So high yardage games are obviously going to mean a lot. Um, rushing TDs and receiving TDs are the normal six. However, there is a, uh, a 0.1 for every rushing yard and a 0.1 for every receiving yard, and it's a half PPR. So that brings down the wide receiver value a little bit and while wide receivers are half PPR, tight ends are one and a half. Uh, so it boosts up the tight end a little bit. And, of course, the main thing with the SFB scoring is the point per first down. So uh, rushing first downs, you get a half a point each. Receiving first downs, it's the same. And then tight ends have that boost. So very unique. You're not really going for the – uh, for the for the yards and the touchdowns, you, I think first downs is the thing that you want to target the most. Is that how you feel going into the draft? Uh, yeah, my my general opinion isn't going to change too much. Like I'm still trying to stick with my strategy of like target the guys I like around the rounds I like. Uh, but in a couple of mocks, it seems like quarterbacks are going early, as you said, with the six point passing touchdowns, uh, and then tight ends are obviously going early with the one and a half PPR for them. Uh, so they're pretty highly valued. Uh, but the, I don't think it really changes much for me. It just means you have to get those guys a little bit earlier. Um, but in terms of draft strategy, I'm just kind of looking at, you know, who's available at each each pick that I have. And, you know, if there's a quarterback I like and then a teardrop, but several running backs and receivers that I like, I'm probably inclined to take that. So for me, it's really about what's the opportunity cost of each pick. Uh, so I don't think I'm going to try to over-engineer a draft strategy based on these positions and how they're valued. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to try to get a nice balanced lineup. But for me, I'm picking out a slot four. Uh, so that means I'm going to get Le'Veon Bell, Ty Gurley, David Johnson, or Ezekiel Elliott, depending on how the first three picks go. And especially in this format, I think it's important to lock in a workhorse running back. So I think four is a perfect slot to be picking from. So I'm really happy about that. 
Yeah, four is a really good spot. I was three last year, so I know the feeling. Uh, you definitely – and the scoring was very similar last year. So yeah. you definitely want that workhorse uh, running back. I also had uh, Zeke last year. So unfortunately, the suspension late in the season kind of hurt me. Uh, but I see in our FFD mock from the four spot, you had Zeke. Um, and then you came back in the second round after a long wait and you got, went ahead and grabbed AJ Green. So that's solid. You get that workhorse back and that number one wide receiver. I am drafting from the 10th spot and I absolutely hate it. I do not want to be there. I am hoping that the draft that I'm in goes very similar to our mock in which Odell and Hopkins and Barkley go before me because I don't want to have to make the choice to draft a wide receiver or a rookie in the first round. I don't want to do that. And if they're there, it's going to be really, really tough for me to pass up. Yeah, no doubt. But in our mock, uh, I went ahead and I was the first person to take a QB because it is super flex. And I took A-Rod and uh, Alvin Kamara went one pick before me. And if he was still there, it would have been very, very tough for me to choose between Kamara and Rogers, uh, especially with the Ingram suspension and the short regular season for the SFB. Uh, I think Kamara is a very, very solid pick. Um, but I went ahead and took Rogers to secure that number one QB. And then I followed it up with Melvin Gordon um, in the next round. It was either Melvin Gordon or uh, Devonta Freeman. I like Melvin Gordon's upside uh, a little bit more. I think the fact that he could be a three down back and he could catch passes out of the backfield, doesn't have the threat of Tevin Coleman uh, helps with that. But I also did not draft a wide receiver until the fifth round. And I think a lot of people are going to be doing that just because yep. uh, the, the way the running backs get first downs uh, on a much more frequent level than wide receivers um, and the fact that it's also only a half point PPR. So I, I got lucky in our mock at the fifth and sixth round. I went back to back with Jarvis Landry and Sammy Watkins, who I would be ecstatic with in the fifth and sixth rounds. It's my uh, wide receivers one and two. Yeah, that ended up well. Um, so I think our strategies just generally about the positions are pretty similar. Uh, for me, I'm not going quarterback as early, especially in our mock, um, because certain guys dropped to me. You know, I wouldn't have been opposed to Rodgers, but he would have had to fall to the 209, and that seems like it's not going to happen based on some mocks that I've seen. He, you, you know, you took him at 110, but for me, I ended up with Zeke, as you said. I locked in A.J. Green, who fell to 209, uh, so I had the clear-cut number one. Uh, he's going to get a ton of targets. And then I, actually, I almost took Joe Mixon at that slot, and so he fell to me at 304, so I actually got two workhorse running backs, which made me thrilled. Uh, but I almost took Mixon at the end of the second round because running backs are going to be so valuable. Uh, and Greg Olson, I ended up taking 409. That's going to be a lot higher than he goes in standard leagues because of that tight end premium format. But he's a guy that I really like to try to get in this range because we've seen him produce at elite levels, especially in terms of fantasy production. Uh, so Olson's a guy that, especially with some of the other tight ends in that area, I think they have a little more questions around them. I know you took Evan Ingram. And for me, that's, a very crowded offense. And I actually feel the same way about Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz. Uh, those offenses are a little crowded. And so I'm just not sure if they'll be able to produce up to the level they did last year. So for me, it wouldn't be too surprising if Greg Olson finishes, you know, number one or two tight end. I don't think that's out of the question, depending on how many games Gronk's healthy for. 
and Olsen as well. I mean, he had a broken foot last year, so that's kind of a freak injury and not necessarily predictive of future injuries. Yeah, uh, I wanted a tight end early. Um, obviously, Gronk or uh, Kelsey, I think, are the, the clear-cut top two. And uh, if I wasn't going to get uh, Ingram, then I was going to wait for someone like a Delaney Walker. But I like Ingram only because I think that uh, defenses are going to be outside of the hash marks on the Giants a lot. I think they're going to be um, watching Odell and and Shep a lot so that will open up the middle of the field. I don't know. I, I, I like Ingram's ability after the catch. That's big for me um, to, to kind of stretch it and to get those first downs that are, that are needed in this league. Right. Uh, it was key to get at least one tight end. And I don't know if I got another one yet in this mock that's still going on. I have not. So I definitely want to, we're in the 11th round now, and I'm definitely going to want to get another tight end shortly just to have his depth. But one of the biggest surprises for me was in the eighth round, I got Duke Johnson. And for someone who I think is going to have a lot of yards after the catch, that, that half-point PPR is still decent for running backs. And, you know, he's going to be on the field for third down, so they have no choice but to go for that first down. I think Duke Johnson, and then I followed up with Chris Thompson in the ninth. I think those are absolute steals that late in the draft. Yeah, you got Duke Johnson within five picks of both Nick Chubb and Carlos Hyde, and especially in a format that has PPR or half PPR scoring, uh, I think that's going to be the better pick. And I was actually just looking at my picks in the same round, uh, seeing who I took in the later rounds, because my philosophy for SFB, especially since there are so many teams, is just going to be go for the highest upside possible because there's only going to be one way to win this thing, and it's going to be to have – a lot of those late round picks pay off. So for me, I'm taking guys like Chris Hogan, who could potentially turn into one of the top targets on the Patriots offense. And in the 11th round, I took Jordan Reed. So now I'm pairing him with Greg Olson. And so if I can do that in the real draft, I potentially end up with, let's say two of the top three tight ends in Jordan Reed and Greg Olson. And so I'm taking those risky high upside players like Reed, and I'm looking to see who went around him in terms of tight ends. Uh, actually, nobody went right near him. But pre the one before him was uh, David Njoku, Trey Burton. And you just, to me, I can't see them putting up the kind of points that Jordan Reed can. And we've seen him do it in the past. So I'm really going for those super high upside guys. So that's where me and you uh, disagree to an extent. Obviously, yes, I want the high upside guys. Because in a league like this, what I learned last year was you could you could win – your division, or at least make it to the playoffs with a good team. But just like it, when it comes down to the playoffs, it's very similar to DFS, where you're going to need the the low-owned guys that are just blowing up. So the Chris Hogan, I think, is a great pick. I, I love the Chris Hogan pick there in the ninth round. I think that's solid, especially when you look at some of the receivers that went around him. It's very interesting. Uh, you have Robert Woods just before him. Pierre Garçon is a, is a good pick. I like that as well. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders, Randall Cobb, and Devin Funches went right after him. So I think that's a good spot for Hogan. Um, right. Hogan was a wide receiver one last year for a stretch, which I don't think a lot of people remember. So, you know, can any of those guys, Ken Pierre Garcon, Robert Woods, Randall Cobb, Devontae Parker, Emmanuel Sanders, Devin Funches, can any of them really be a fantasy wide receiver one? And the answer is probably not. 
Uh, I think it'll be close. I think, well, Robert Woods, um, it really depends on Brandon Cooks there. Yeah, uh, I mean, I just don't think I could see him as a top 12 receiver. I think he's no. going to outperform his ADP most likely. But I, I think Chris Hogan has the best, uh, has the highest ceiling, yeah. but I think he's uh, arguably uh, one of the least consistent ones only because of the injury history, which brings me to my next point is the one of the main things that I'm going into this for is I'm taking health over upside. So there won't be any mock, and I definitely won't be drafting Jordan Reed in my SFB. I get the upside, which is through the roof. He could be, you know, a top three tight end when he's healthy. But in a league like this where it's redraft and, uh, you know, the waiver wire, you're playing with sharks. So the waiver wire is going to be slim pickings as is. I'm going to want guys that are going to be staying on the field. Uh, so uh, that that's that's where I think we may differ a little bit. Well, I'm swinging for the fences because I don't play for second or third, baby. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, that that's definitely fair. Uh, I made the playoffs last year, and I got booted in the first round, which was unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, I blamed the Zeke suspension on that. I was just lucky to make the playoffs. So um, My team will most likely either be really good, which is maybe like a 5% chance or 10% chance, or it's going to just all go down and burning flames. Yeah, well, I mean, that's generally how the high ceiling, low floors guy go, though. I mean, you have yep. to take that chances. And with a league like this, with, you know, last year's 720 teams, this year it's 900, you need your guys to hit on all cylinders. And it, it's just, it's so tough. If anybody listens to the Dynasty Tradecast and knows uh, Dan on that, he's he actually won it all last year. And he doesn't let an episode go by without letting people know. <laughs> but uh, it, it's very interesting. So looking at it some more, do you was Dak your first QB? Yep, and I'm perfectly okay with that. Do you have another one yet? I took Jameis Winston two rounds later. Okay, so Jameis is an interesting one because he's going to fall uh, with this news. And I think that's going to be a steal. Um, I'm going to grab him. Yeah, I, if he's in there in the 10th round, uh, I may grab him as well. And before this, I already had two QBs. I got Big Ben in the seventh, which, you know, this is a dynasty podcast, so you don't think about getting Ben Roethlisberger at all. However, the guy is going to throw a ton. So me pairing him up with Aaron Rodgers, uh, I really, really like. He's probably my biggest injury risk, I guess, uh, on my team. But if Winston was there in the 10th or the 11th, I may just pick him up just to have as a third QB just in case Roethlisberger were to get hurt. Um, but I don't really have anything else. I'm going to keep aiming for those third down running backs that get those first downs. And then when I get to the 14th, 15th rounds, I'm going to do what you do. And just, it's going to be all upside from there on out. Yep. Uh, I guess that's about it. You have anything to add? No, let's try to win this thing. Yeah, no shit. So next week, uh, hopefully we'll be back to our normal recording schedule where we'll record on Tuesday, publish Wednesday morning. And by then, uh, with the SFB starting Monday morning, afternoon-ish, I think, we will hopefully be a few rounds in and we can recap what we've done. Uh, hopefully we're happy with how everything went at that point. Otherwise, we will definitely be sure to let you know how upset we are. Uh, otherwise, we do not have a main topic for next week. So if you want us to talk about anything, please let us know. Uh, we could go division by division and break down each team and their dynasty outlook. We could go 
uh, rounds two and three of Ramak. Whatever you guys want to hear, me and Mark are absolutely able and willing to talk about anything, uh, football or not related, hopefully football related. Um, yeah. Otherwise, uh, Mark, you want to say goodbye to the people? No. All right. I'll see you, uh, everybody, next week. Have a nice night. <laughs>